Since the dawn of civilization, humans have endeavored to become stronger and faster. From the invention of the wheel to today, history is replete with men and women who have applied innovation to fitness. But in the past 50 years, while millions have made livings in this industry, a select few have taken that passion to the highest level, creating brands and products known across the globe. Today we celebrate these pioneers, for they are the Gym Class Heroes. All right, welcome to today's episode of Gym Class Heroes of Fitness, as always, sponsored by Athletic Business and the iClubs Conference, coming to you November 20th through 22nd in San Diego, California, where you will get in fantastic ideas and insights about being an independent gym operator. And you may also meet, or we can promise you will hear from and see the great Irvin Magic Johnson. So if that's not Buck. incentive enough, Buck, Big Buck. Johnson. Big Buck Johnson. Jim, I don't know if uh, our, our guest today, Jim Worthington from Newtown Athletic Club. Jim, I don't know if you know that Magic Johnson's friends call him Buck. Never heard that. Yeah. So, uh, well, we, clearly you're not on the inside, Jim. I mean, yeah. that, that answers that question. <laughs> well, I'm five foot seven and, uh, and, and, and was never really that good at that game. So I didn't follow up that closely, but I did know he was, his real name was Irvin. His real name is Irvin. Well, if, uh, if, if you if you ever do meet him, call him Mr. Johnson. <laughs> we recommend that. And not Mr. Buck. Not, not, not Mr. Mr. Buck. <laughs> Uncle Buck, maybe. Anyways. Okay. So our You should you should give Jim a proper introduction. I like, should give I Jim mean, a proper introduction. The man has accomplished a couple of things. That is certainly true. Um and uh, and actually an interesting diver not diversion, interesting difference than a lot of the people we interviewed, I'll tell you right now. Um uh, our guest today is is the uh the owner and um sort of the visionary behind the Newtown Athletic Club, certainly one of the preeminent, uh, the preeminent facilities in, in the country. Am I right? No doubt. Uh, I guess based on club industries rankings of uh, the top clubs, I think we fall into that category revenue wise. I mean, you're always hoping to, to get better, but I think uh, the staff has elevated us to a level where you can talk about us in, in a short list of clubs. Oh, well said. What a good boss. Yeah. Passing the the credit. So, and you're doing a lot of really cool, I mean, we're going to get into talking about your life, your history, but um, you guys are doing some incredible things. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what's going on at the NAC. Well, more recently, most recently, we we, uh, developed a plan with uh, Hervé Lavoie, who's out of Olson Lavoie out of Colorado. I think is the preeminent... um, health club architect in the world um we we've been working with him for like 10 years and we developed a basically it was a seven million dollar um outdoor facility which included um a family recreational family uh recreational pool a lazy river slides and then the one component that i think that was different was uh this adult resort style pool with where you had to be 21 and up with its own restaurant bar area and just the furniture alone the retail value of the furniture that went around the pool was a million dollars because that was all part of our and that wasn't included in the seven million that was just the construction of the facilities uh we just took our level what we did to two notches above where we were previously and we we really started to try to create this lifestyle club as opposed to a gym and that's kind of what we build ourselves as is a, we're not a gym, we're a lifestyle. Um, I think that this is kind of the next wave 
uh, in the industry for the higher level, um, um, more service oriented clubs that have the financial and both the financial and the uh, the ability to grow land available to to do such a thing. And I, it's been a, a tremendous uh, game changer for us. Yeah, I you know a lot of people we talk to, it's I mean on this show, very much about trying to, the, the wellness movement, the, the health movement, living a healthier lifestyle. Um, but it seems like, I mean, that's part of what you do, but that's not necessarily the ultimate goal here. Am I right? Uh, no, no. Uh, the goal for us is to take families from cradle to grave uh, ages and be able to give them everything you would want to get in a in a community. So you, when you walk in the door at the NAC, you, you have access to food service, a full spa salon with nails, massage, facials, uh, indoor pools, um, children's programming, programming, which 15, 20 years ago, I, we were one of the first ever to commit uh, space. We've committed 30,000 square foot of space just uh, for children's programming, wow. i.e., ballet, dance, gymnastics, things like that. Um, you know, the list goes on. We have a 12,000-square-foot fitness center. We have uh, a sports training, which is a Parisi uh, sports training. We've got, you know, the full locker rooms, towel service, the, the yogas, the Pilates. All that's inclusive in our membership. So it's a one-stop shop, no additional fees. And um, it really provides tremendous value where you make it work as you have to you have to have a lot of members. We have 5,000 membership units, 12,000 members. So the town of Newtown, which we we don't get all our members exclusively from there, but to give you a point of reference is 22,000 people, and we have 12,000 members here at NAC. So uh, it really is, it's really become a destination where people come, they show up at eight, nine o'clock in the morning and they don't leave some days in the summer till eight or nine o'clock, 10 o'clock that night. I can imagine. It sounds like, sounds like such a cool, uh, a cool enterprise. Well, back in May of 1981, uh, when I first got to Newtown, it was then the Newtown racquetball club it was 11 courts and 15,000 square foot, uh, with a couple locker rooms and a lobby. Uh, I was interviewed the first week by a local newspaper and they said, you know, in that point we're, time we're only on three acres and they said well what did you envision down the road and I said basically a country club without a golf course but I can't tell you back in 1981 I envisioned exactly this but I envisioned something similar to this you gotta remember I got involved way long way back in the day when uh, you know there wasn't a whole lot of fitness and yeah very little and group x was just starting back then it was aerobic dancing and you were converting your courts into spaces that you could do these things and I had a background in athletics, um, so uh, it was a natural. I always had trained weightlifting-wise and otherwise, so it was kind of a segue for me. But yeah. you know, uh, so you said you 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 said you were involved in athletics, and uh, earlier you told us you were five foot seven. So basketball wasn't the athletics you were no, involved no. in. Why were you I probably should have been a jockey, but I played, <laughs> I played football. I played football in high school and some in college at Westchester, small state school in, 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 in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, that's where the weight training background, played a little bit of baseball. And uh, I was always active from the time I was 14 on. I mean, you're talking about I'm 57 now, so that, that would have been in the 
yeah, late 60s is when I probably got into that, uh, about 16, 17 years old. Or, mm. Well, I guess back then I was 13 or 14, and then uh, I graduated from high school in 74, college in 78. But I had gotten into a healthy lifestyle and working out all that stuff back in the day. And, you know, that's when you went to, you know, a, a storefront, uh, you know, workout place in the mall, like uh, one of the local malls, like I was, a, I think it was a Bally's member, a Gold Plus, I think sure. they called it back in the day, where you'd get three days a week instead of the, you know, the yeah. seven days if you were a platinum or whatever the heck it was. But, uh, you know, that that's where I got started. And then when I got out of college, I continued that uh, and then worked for a club in my hometown for a couple, three years for uh, a guy uh, that uh, in Horsham, Pennsylvania, that started a racquetball only club and then... Uh, I got contacted by people that own the Newtown Racquetball Club in regards to uh, could I help them out with the management of their club as a consultant. <clears throat> At one point in the uh, in the late 80s, I actually, what, uh, while I was working here at Newtown, I uh, went to work for one of my partners on Wall Street for almost four years um, working for a money management firm. That's, that's when the, we were kind of not in a growth uh, mode and we were kind of just stabilizing and running the club as a somewhat of a racquetball slash fitness group X place. And we really hadn't gotten into the big expansion. So I went up and worked on Wall Street for a while for my partner who was a money manager. And I did some bond trading and stuff like that. So I always, I've always had my hand in something else while I was in this industry. Um, in fact, early prior to that, I, I got into the janitorial service business. I was, had opened up the NAC. Oh, I got in the NAC in 1981. It was an existing club that had opened in 1978. And the first thing I did, because uh, the club wasn't doing that well, it was 11 racquetball courts. I uh, I uh, had to lay off the weekend maintenance uh, help the, the company because we, we were having difficulty making ends meet uh, <clears throat> cash flow-wise. Now, the interesting thing, the guys that owned the club at that time were all Wall Street guys, very wealthy. So... It wouldn't have mattered if we couldn't pay the bills because they would have chipped in and would would have been easy for them. But I was very determined not to have to do that, so right. I laid off the weekend crew. So for the first six months, I'd uh, on Saturday and Sunday, I'd uh, I clean the building from five in the morning to eight in the morning, and then I'd go to the front desk, open it up, and get ready for business. And oddly enough, I figured out um, after six months of doing this, what we were paying the people to clean it. They were making a darn good buck, mm. so I I figured, well, this isn't hard. So I went and started. The the club was located in an industrial park, so I went out and started soliciting some of the businesses in the industrial park for janitorial cleaning. A lot of that uh, happened after nine o'clock at night when the when the racquetball club was winding down. So I'd go out and start start working in those things and start hiring people, and then before you know it, and Three, three years or so, I ended up uh, uh, having a staff of like 40 people and sold the company for about, huh. back in those days, it was the mid-80s. So I think I sold it for like 450000 which which today would be probably a couple million dollars. So th that's it's on the... 16, it's actually $16 billion. <laughs> I, I did the math very quickly. It's exactly $16 you million. Dollars. You know, I, it was funny. I, I was at a crossroads then. Too, because I was probably 26, seven years old. I had this company with 40 people. I was making tons of money in this janitorial business, and I, I, and the health club, it's, you know, was doing better, but it was not, or the ragable club was doing better. But we, you know, I'd only maybe taken out 
four or five of the courts at that point and converted them over. And you still didn't know where the industry was heading. EFT was just getting um, sure. in 84, 85. We had just instituted that. And it was really pay, pay for play up till then. And uh, that kind of changed the industry. But my point was, I, I was not sure what I was going to do. I had, because that was doing so well, I said, well, what do I want to do? But I had such a love for fitness. And what I did, I was playing racquetball for the company Ectalon as a um, sure right, yeah. for them. You were a professional, and, yeah. You were a professional racquetball player, right? Yeah, yeah. I played for them, and uh, you know, I was a good local pro. I wasn't, you know, nationally like Marty Hogan or anybody like that. But I could play. I mean, when it came to state level and tri-state level, and uh, I had Are to decide. And I, I made the decision to uh, stay in the health and fitness. Thank God it worked out. But I will tell you, uh, I honestly think I would have done very, very, very well in the janitorial service business. Um, you know, uh, so, so did you, did, you earn, did you earn more money uh, being a, a pro racquetball player, or when you sold your janitorial service? No, no, I was, uh, you know, I was the manager of the club and. Uh, and I was playing that, you know, you, back then you hardly made any money at all being a pro, but the, you know, I was making a decent living at the, at the, uh, the racquetball thing, but frankly, I was making more money at the, uh, the janitorial service. So you were a better janitor than you were a pro. Uh, I was a great player. cleaner. I'll I tell you when I was, I always felt satisfied because you know what, at the end of the day, I always said when you cleaned, you either knew it was done right or it wasn't done. Or there was no in between. You either cleaned sure. things good or you didn't. And then, you know, it's funny as I got as I got uh, bigger, I did less than that. It was I got to the point in the last couple of years it was all supervision and sales. But uh, you know, there's so there's a million ways to skin a cat. I mean, you know, make a money make money even not so much even now, but even back then it was just you know putting the effort into it. And I kind of learned that early on. That, so, you know, and I, I still live by the, this one thing that I heard when I was back in college when I was graduating with a well, it was a health and PE degree with a minor in physiology. I was told when I was getting ready to graduate that they brought a bunch of us into a room at Westchester with 300 graduates with a similar type degree. And a professor went up to the front of the room and they, she put a big two at the front of the room and asked every the 300 people there, what was that two? What did it represent? And you know, everybody, five or six people answered, but nobody got it correct. You say, you know what the answer is to this? two of you out of this class are going to get a job. And I was like, devastated. I'm like, wow, I just spent four years, but I'm not going to get a job. So uh, I went and uh, hearing that, this is right about a month before we graduated, I said, well, i got to find something else to do. So I took a real estate course, one of these weekend crash courses where you had to show up uh, Saturday and Sunday for eight hours for two successful, uh, successful weekends. And within the uh, first... Ten minutes of that class, uh, some guy I can't remember his name was went around the room and asked everybody what they uh, the the reason why they were at at this this class. There was a lot of people much older than me, and they went around and asked individually each one. And like one woman said, I just had a second kid and I need extra income. And another guy said, Well, I just got laid off of my job. Everybody had these good reasons. Your answer yeah. was your answer was I just learned what the number two really yeah. means. I just <laughs> learned, hey, I'm not going to get a job at all, and I haven't worked long enough to get unemployment, so I'm, you know I'm in trouble. So he, this guy got out and he basically said, look, you have all, you all have good reasons. He said, but the key to who's going to be successful or not lies in this one reality. He said, and, and, which was successful people do 
what unsuccessful people could do but don't do. Oh, wow. And I've lived by that motto ever since. It really struck home to me, and I think I've kind of made that my um, hmm. my, my you know thought to live by, whether it's working out or work or whatever the case may be, is that I've just learned early on is that, you know, you have to put tremendous effort in, and if you do, you'll probably do fine because 90% of the people – don't try. And that's not to mean that they're bad people, but most people don't want to give you that 100%. They'll give you something less than that. And if you're, you're out plugging away, in fact, one more boring story is that when I, was, when I had first started working in Newtown in 1981, I told you that the guys that were involved were pretty wealthy, successful Wall Street guys. And the one that was the local guy that actually hired me, his name's Charlie Minner, who was a real mentor to me, a great guy, very successful, quirky guy, but very, very, uh, uh, a very successful guy on Wall Street. He used to go to his country club, Trenton Country Club, and he used to brag about me, uh, my work ethic. And he used to, in the middle of July at three o'clock in the afternoon, when there was no one in the, the club, racquetball club, no one, he would, he would tell his friend, look, I'll call Worthington up at the club, and I will bet you he'll answer the phone at the front desk. And he would do that like two or three times a summer, the first uh, couple of years I was there, just to kind of like, kind of brag about, you know, as an employee, because he hired me, and he really, he really took a, a, a fondness and a, 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 a mentoring role with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, darn if I didn't pick it up every time, and there, I'd be in the empty club, but I would, you know, I would be doing something, whether it would be folding towels or painting the walls because you wanted to do that when, you know, there was nobody was using them so that, you know, you, you could still rent them out. You didn't want to lose the rental income. And, uh, that was part of that, you know, successful people do what unsuccessful people, you know, could do, but choose not to do. I, I always wanted to make sure that when I was, when I was a kid then I was 23, four, my buddies would want me to go out and hang out with them Friday night and Saturday night and watch the football games all day Sunday. And I just refused to do it. In fact, The first five years I came to Newtown, and you're going to find this very hard to believe, and you say that's got to be bull. I did not take a day off in five years. I don't believe it. Yep. Most, most people I, do, I, I but it's true. It. I do believe it. I, just, <laughs> I, I'm not obligated to say that. So I got a, I got a question. Is sure. there a person today who, if we went and found them on this earth, who would say that Jim is my mentor? Well, I mean – to, no, to, uh, let me let me let me let me explain myself. Everybody always talks about how this person is their mentor. This person, so somebody obviously has to think, "Hey, I would love to be just like Jim." Well, you know what? I mean, and 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 to, to keep from sounding like uh, you know, like bragging, because uh, but because let's make sure. Jim, we hold on a second. Let me let me clarify something. We have just already acknowledged that you were a better janitor than a than a racquetball <laughs> player. So I don't think there's any bragging going on around right. here. So, so I want to know if there is a person here today that you can think of who says Jim is my mentor. Well, yes, I think there's more than one, and I've actually had people have people come in on a regular basis that want to sit down and pick my brain. I mean, and 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 you know, I I would tell you one who who would never admit admit to it because we're kind of like two peas in a pod, but it would be my one son Jim, 
for sure, and he works in the industry now. He's like 23 years old. He, if, 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 if you put a gun to his head and made him tell the truth because he doesn't like to say too many good things about me, he'd probably <laughs> say that. I think there's been a lot of employees over the years. But, look, here's what I try to tell the, the, the people that come to me for you know, the advice or how did you get there in business. I was out Saturday night. A young kid that I, I was with who was 25 years old said, you know, how, did, how the heck did you get to where you are? It, you know, it, it, there's no big secret formula. It's just it really is working as hard as you can. And the number one thing that I was always open to, which I think is the main reason why NAC is where it is and where I am, is to I sought out the most successful people I could find and also people that maybe weren't as successful but still had good ideas and picked their brain and asked them questions and listened and took notes. And, hey, I still do that. I mean, the Atlantic Club, Kevin McHugh, Pat Louse. Uh, yeah, great back people. In his, yeah, great. Roger Rao. I mean, I just hired the, the Atlantic Club as uh, – as consultants for my spa. Let me tell you, my spa here at the NAC is probably better than 95% in terms of uh, gross revenues uh, of all the clubs in America. But guess what? The Atlantic Club, they're light years ahead of me in gross revenue. We, mm-hmm. We're going to do a million three this year. They're going to do four million in their thing. Mm-hmm. I went and just, I, I, Kevin, they're, they're not only friends of mine, but they've been great um, people in the industry. They've always shared. I've hired them recently as a consultant. It was one of the best things I've done. And, 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 and it's every penny I've paid them, it's been worth it. I go, you know, go back to people like Roger Ralph at the Bel Air Athletic Club back in the day when he was down there. Uh, Rick Caro, 30 years. Uh, John McCarthy. And, but, but they're the big names. They're the big names that everybody knows. I learned a lot from the little club operator that had a club that was no bigger than my current office. You know, I learned stuff from people that weren't even in the industry, that were more in the hospitality. I mean, if you're willing to listen and learn and implement what people tell you, then you'll be successful. I mean, I think when you start taking the role that even today, I mean, I always go with the thought that I am the least smartest person in the room and that I'm going to just find out everything I can. Now, I will tell you. I, by the way, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to agree with that or not. Or I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> you you're, you're so, so self-effacing. I'm like concerned. I'm going to do. Yeah. You're a great janitor, Jim. I, we agree. We get it. But look, you you built this giant club. You're successful by every measure out there. Uh, you hire smart people. You uh, you 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 give credit to everybody except yourself. This is about you. I want to know. I, I, I there is a guy out there. Yeah, I want to. Who looks at you as a mentor? What are you doing to make sure? Not your son, because obviously you gotta. Well, you don't have to, but you're obviously going to love your son. And you're going to give him every benefit and opportunity. But guy like me, all right? I'm I'm half as smart as you. I'm not. I'm neither a good racquetball player or a good janitor. But I, I look <laughs> at you as 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 my as my mentor. You, you got you've got this one line that you got from uh, from the real estate class that sort of drives you. What are you going to tell me? What's your one line to me? What, you, what do you tell me to make me successful? I, I would tell you to seek out whatever field you're in, the most successful person th- that you can get access to, offer to buy them dinner or lunch, and sit down and ask them you know, what it is that m- made them successful and what did they do. Now, that could be 
as simple as uh, writing down a list of goals daily that you do, or it could be uh, something as significant as, um, you know, uh, you need to be a student of what you do and, you know, learn operations. If it's, if there's people, there's always someone out there that will tell you, but I think it's more of the, the, um, not so much specific stuff, but things that make, make you successful. For like, this sounds weird, but I used to, in 1981, when I got here in May, I would take an eight and a half, 11 sheet of paper, and I would write down every day the things that I want to accomplish. And at the end of every month, I would keep writing on the same piece of paper. And by the end of the month, the front and back would be completely filled, and they'd be numbered. And it might, those numbers could go up to 90, and then as 90, 100 different things. As you, as you do them, I would strike it off the list. And, and, and maybe at the end of the month, you're left with 30 things or 50 things that you didn't get done. You would then transfer that over to another list when you wrote, rewrote it at the beginning of the month, that next month. I have every single list in a file folder from 1981 on. It's actually two file folders now. There, there is literally hundreds and hundreds of these 8.5 by 11 that, it was it was the way I got things done, and and reason I did that is because every time I went to one of these seminars on traits of successful people, they would have some type of written or uh, or some way to keep track of goals and accomplishments, and that was huge for me because that kept me focused. So. Every, every successful person has some type of thing that they would tell you that helped them to the success. I, believe it or not, I think that 8.5 by 11 piece of paper was it's as, as significant as anything other than maybe that, what that guy said to me at the, uh, said the, that class in real estate. Yeah. Um, you, know, me, you just got to find something you believe in and then hang on that and then do it and stay with it. So uh, let, let me ask you something. Yeah, I, I my, my concern was you were going to just say the number zero because that's the likelihood of me finding a job. But I think <laughs> <laughs> I think no. that, that you, you uh, I, I think that's better than uh, I think it's you're right. The, the, the key is whether any any of these types of, of uh, sort of self-help or self-empowerment. The, the one thing that seems to be consistent is write it down, put right. it down on paper. Um, now you would do it with a computer, but I, yeah, I, I'm so computer. used to doing the other way. When you'd, you'd put, or you'd put it on your phone, a list of things you need to do. But for me, I walk in every day. The first thing I do is look at this list, and I look at it six times a day. You know the funny thing? I'm looking at it now. At the top of the list, and some of it's personal items too. I mean, because you know, it's you, you pick up my laundry, yeah. <laughs> wash but the dog. I usually get off the list pretty quick. But <laughs> I mean, the number one thing at the top of my list is something. It's, it's I have these old books in my family that that, that need to be restored. That thing on, that's been number one has been number one now for six years. Now, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that because I just don't keep getting But uh, trust me, I keep looking at it. Look, eventually I'm going to get to that. And the first six things are probably things that have been there at least two years or more. But everything else from there on down pretty much gets knocked off. And by the way, that same list concept is the same thing I did. Because a game changer for me, and I know you didn't ask me, but I'm going to just tell you to volunteer this anyway, is that I first went to Ursa. It was in Las Vegas sometime in the early 80s. I can never remember what year. It was either 83 or 84. And that we, we were there, and there was hardly anybody there. And I went to that. I've gone to that convention almost every year since. And if not, there's always been a representative of the NAC. It's the single most 
important thing was it, that 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 made this business grow uh, to the size it was. It was URSA, and it was all those contacts and those peoples and those people and the seminars and the continuing ed and clearly the num- number one reason why the knack is the knack. Yeah, I attribute that to Rick and. Uh, uh, Rick Caro and John yeah. McCarthy and uh, Norm Cates and those guys. I mean, you, you, there should be monuments to them somewhere yeah. in the fitness industry. Those and, guys. And I'm, I'm actually going to, and, and uh, I agree with you, and I'm going to actually make a plug real quick for why we're doing this whole thing and what you've been talking about is listening to people who've done it and learning from everybody. And that that is the point of why we did uh, gym class here as a fitness, and it's it's why Athletic Business and the iClubs Conference um, wanted to do it and were supportive and uh, and what iClubs is about is not only is doing exactly what you say, going to a place where you learn from people who are in the same boat, who experience the same issues, and how you can get better from them. And I think people need to understand. I mean, people need to understand the value of that. But I want to go back to um, a, a little bit earlier. From from what I understand, your backstory a little bit. You you uh, your local boy. You know, we talk a lot of guys uh, and. They've all been guys, but <laughs> um, we are interviewing Pat Laos. We are interviewing Pat. Beautiful. Exactly. Well, she's definitely not a guy. No, no, no. no. Definitely not. A guy. Just, I, I know her name's Pat, but that's the girl. <laughs> no, she's phenomenal. <laughs> but she, um, but you know, a lot of people we talked to, they had this thing where they 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 went out on a journey and they came back to fitness. And it seems like you, from the beginning, you were set on this. You um, I I know that you got uh, you were sort of plucked out from you were running a racquetball uh, event and you got plucked out by your owners. Um, where did you, I mean, if I'm talking to 12 year old, you, what did you want to be? Well, I wanted to be a professional athlete, but when you only get to five foot seven, that's a little bit hard. And I should have <laughs> probably looked at my parents and realized they weren't that tall or big. <laughs> you could have played hockey. You could have played hockey. <laughs> but I will tell you this, the funny part of that story at 12 years old, I was 13 years old, 12, 13. In seventh grade, I was the center on the basketball team, if you can believe that, because I was as tall then as I am now, so I actually thought I had a shot. That's, That's what the crazy thing was. I blame and then the parents. next year, I was a forward, and by the time I was in ninth grade, I was a guard. But as a kid, were but, you doing? Were you running little businesses as a kid? I mean, were you so entrepreneurial, you know, bike route and stuff? Or Well, no, no, I know, because you know what? I was so – my parents are the greatest in the world, and and, and then the reality is is they 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 – my dad was a hardworking guy that commuted to New York three hours a day each way from Horsham, Pennsylvania. It's unheard of, and it's no wonder he had his first heart attack when he was about my age, 55, 56. And he worked in the pharmaceutical industry, and the only place he could get really do the work he did was in New York. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom that just, uh, you know, uh, seventh-grade education, but Italian woman, the prototypical, you know in the kitchen, clean the house, just, you know, just love, love life, lo- love doing for others. And frankly, they didn't make me do much of anything. I mean, I played sports and I played football, baseball, basketball, and that was kind of all they asked of me. And I, I was the youngest kid in a family of three, two older sisters, Italian mom, only boy, you know, did, do I need to tell you more? I was a poor brat. <laughs> right. but, but, but what, what, so I, I kind of just, um, I kind of just, did the sports route, but I will tell you, I was an incorrigible youth. And in fact, uh, it was not that I did anything bad in terms of, uh, uh, you know, drinking and this and that, or so much that, but I loved to, uh, I had a bad temper 
And there was a number of reasons why, but I, I just I had a bad temper. So consequently, I was getting suspended from school quite often. And whether it involved a, a, a student or or me with a teacher, I had issues with controlling my temper. And I was just I was uh, I was I don't know maybe it was the era you know it was right after the the, the area the era of the 60s when you know you had like uh, you know uh, different you had the the, the the long hair guys and you had the greasers and you had this, that, I mean, it was kind of part of that thing. And I guess I kind of adopted that for, but I was always on the borderline. I was a kid that was a good athlete. So they kind of tolerated more than they would normally do the school. But then I was the other side where they had to like step up and punish me. So the reality is through that time period, um, the, the coaches loved me because I would run through a wall, but the teachers didn't, appreciate me and I understand why in retrospect I look back but they it kind of motivated me because well it motivated me a lot because when I went to graduate I was out of a class of 350 students I was like 310 <laughs> and uh, so there was only like 40 worse for me and then I started looking in there thinking about it. well the people, a lot of the kids that were worse for me were special needs and other kids that had a reason to probably not do as well in school and I was just a you know a total goofball I you know in fact my homeroom teacher made a deal with me my last two years and said look you know I don't necessarily want you to come into homeroom just walk by and wave at me and that would check check me in so you know that that's the way I was handled and um I was kind of pushed through. Uh, people didn't know how to really deal with me, and, uh, and 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 looking back, I can't blame them for pushing me through. But the, uh, the I think a, a telling moment was a couple days before I graduated. Everybody had to meet with their guidance counselor, and my guidance guidance, guidance counselor, Mrs. Penelope Point. I mean, that name alone would have probably I would have mocked her. That's what, what, what the jerk that I was. I, pro, I mocked her even when I met with her because I was, you know, I I had an issue. <laughs> but uh, she brought me in. And she, you know, you do these tests that say you know your aptitude, what you'd be good for, blah 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 blah. So I did that, and then she said, "Well, what are your plans?" I said, "Well, I'm going to go to college." She says, "Well, Jim, I got to tell you, I, I don't think you're college material." Well. Wow the light went off and I got, you know, pissed off. And I went to Westchester and lo and behold, I barely had a high school and I took that as a, a you know, a motivation. And four la years later, I graduated with honors, which, you know, I just said I had to apply myself. So now the, the best part of that story is, I think it's so Penelope Point, when I was in high school, I thought she was an old woman then, but she was probably only in her early 50s about 15 years ago uh my old high school uh inducted me into uh or maybe 10 years ago inducted inducted me into their hall of fame for uh for community service and for so-called business uh success and i had to get up and speak and uh, one of the teachers that had me my english teacher uh connie malatesta got up and said uh and my two kids were in the front row, and she says, you know, uh, if I, and there was 2,000 kids in the audience, and, and she said, uh, uh, if I had thought, uh, the last person I thought that would be here today would be Jim Worthington, I thought he would be probably in jail. 
So I looked at my kids, and they're like, they're like eight and seven. They're like looking at me. Later, they asked me, Daddy, why would you be in jail? And I'm there like, oh, well. Well, I don't know. I mean, she was just making a joke. But anyway, after the uh, thing, uh, uh, the teachers had a, in the faculty room and the lady that was my guidance counselor who was, came back for the ceremony, not for me, but for someone else, Mrs. Point comes up to me and goes, you know, Jim, I'm really proud of you. And I said, well, Mrs. Point, you don't really know how much you – you helped me get to where I am, but I, I appreciate it. I, at that point, I didn't want to be, I mean, you know, I, I, it, she didn't, you know, I didn't want to be rude or anything like that. I could have went back and told her the story, but I didn't. But <laughs> I would have punched she her didn't out. know how much she did I would have punched her out. I would have <laughs> knocked her down, and then I would have stood over her and just, like, gloated like uh, Muhammad Ali standing over a sunny list and just standing there with my arm cocked. But trust me, I thought about it, you but... and I, Jim. I thought about it, but I, I thought I didn't have a heart. She was 80 at that point. That's, well, that's the best one because they can't fight back for me. <laughs> so anyway, so that's uh, that's kind of what happened uh, back back in those days. And then, Very but cool. you know, so then I, you know, at, at that point, I decided I had to do something with my life, and I wanted, you know, I've always, and, and frankly, from the time I was 12 years old, I was always, like I said earlier, a little bit bigger, and I was a pretty good athlete. So. People would take shots at me and say, well, he's a good athlete, but. But he can do this, but. But the but was always justified. But as a kid, you never realize that until you yep. look back. Yeah. And, you know, well, I use that as uh, motivation to show everybody. Well, you know, even today, I'll run into somebody that, you know, I'll, I'll see from high school. And maybe they don't know some of the things that, you know, that I went through and stuff. And they're, they're just, shut, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I, you know, I, I'm in the health club business. And I don't really tell them, you know, I'm an owner of, you know, maybe the one of the bigger ones in the country. I don't, I don't, I don't say that. I, I, I don't. And then they find out later and they go, geez, I can't believe it. I mean, we never thought that he would be able to do that. And well, they I guess I, I, every step too, of the way probably. I try to – what's that? They probably thought you were going to go to jail as well. Yeah, exactly. Because look, look, look if, it, if, it, if, it, if, it was, if the day ended in a Y, I probably had a fight with somebody that day. <laughs> and then after I get – once I get to be 10th and 11th grade, people let, kind of let me alone because I – kind of handle myself pretty good and it's interesting so, my son's a little bit like that now but i mean that's not a good thing by the way back in those days you can get away with it not today. that's funny that's very so funny I, I got a question because and your son who's uh, who's working with you now his name is jim as well right yep yep so when 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 you and him are talking and and obviously you're as you mentioned you're a mentor to him where do you think uh you're you're handing off a, a pretty impressive uh, uh, facility to him. Where do you think the industry is going to go for him? What's the where is the health and fitness going to be in in 25 years? I mean, well, it's certainly not going to be racquetball, which was which is 25 years ago or 30 years. Our industry that was handed to us was or to you was racquetball. What yep. do you, what's 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 he going to be talking about when he's a gym class hero in 25 years? Well, let me just say this: there there is no guarantee that he'll be a gym class hero because he's got. There's 600 employees here, and he's got to find a way to jump over about 300 of them. Mm. And he's got to find a way to earn it by jumping over because nothing's going to be handed to him. Uh, that, you know, if there's, if, at the end of the day, he, if he's somebody that can do something more significant, he's uh, my lead Parisi trainer and very great with kids. Uh, you know, he does a good job at that. Whether he has the ability or the desire or something like that or the qualifications, that's yet to be seen. So, uh, he, you know, there's been no promises to him. But that being said, uh, what do I see in the industry? Um, uh, I, certainly wellness and um, 
there's already people ahead of the curve on this, ahead of me on this uh, Atlanta club being one of them. Um, I see that you got to bring in the medical component. Now, I will tell you, this has been talked about for 10 or 15 years, and it keeps being talked about every single year, but it's just been a slow, like, glacier move. I think the recent thing with Obamacare and the fact that this – the, uh, the the baby boomers are aging and they don't want to age. I think it's finally going to ha- accelerate here in the next five years. I think you're going to see more of a, a movement to not just to address the physical needs, but the the wellness needs with um, whether it be you know things on diabetes or uh, heart disease or like for instance, look at my zone. We just in- instituted my zone in here. Sure. If you would have put my zone in 10 years ago, nobody would have damn used it. But now these people are so interested in their energy output, their heart rate, and all that stuff. We, I think we were the uh, – I think I was told by the Amanda Konitzberg, who, who, who's heading this thing up. She's my sales and marketing director, that we sold more my zone belts on the pre-sale than any other club that's ever gotten involved in my zone. I think the – Demogra- the age wave, the demographics, which is something I learned at Ursa like 15 years ago at a seminar. I forget the guy who did the thing. He said, if you want to be successful, follow the baby boomers. And I kind of applied that to our club. Maybe it was 20 years ago in regards to offering family things and stuff. Again, something I learned from someone else, speaker there. Uh, I think you're going to see that accelerate because, look, the baby boomers are um, uh, a big group. 80 million people, but the, the thing about them is they want to live forever, and they are very uh, altruistic. I mean, they, they, they are into – they care about their family, but they're into themselves as well, and they're going to do everything to extend their life and keep their life good and look good, feel good. You know, now the, now the thing is the 50 is 30 or whatever. Well, you and I know that. I'm 57. That's, that's – kind of like uh, I, I don't think that's true but we're going to paint it that way mm-hmm. you know 50 year olds are going to paint it that way um, you know the reality is is that uh, I, I, I see that being big I see, I see in the high end clubs what we just did this resort lifestyle facility country club without a golf course I think you're going to see more people get on board with that concept how do you think it won't guy, be enough to go ahead sorry, what was it? how do you think a guy with a box right now can take that philosophy and apply that somebody who doesn't have your wherewithal didn't build it up yet but you know a guy is like you know got got a few thousand square feet how can he take that and or she take that and apply it well i i think it, it no matter where you are on the spectrum whether you're a ten dollar a month club or you know the high end like us I believe the only way to survive this thing long term is to provide exemplary service and be all over the people. I think the people in the middle of the of, of the of the range, somebody at the 40, 30, 50 that's you know not real service oriented, but they're not the cheapest person on the block. I think they're I think that's that group's in trouble. I think you either got to be strive to go higher end or you got to go dirt cheap. And I don't think dirt cheap in the long run is the way to go either, because in 30 some years that I've been involved in this, that is come and gone. Don't get me wrong. I think you can make money at it, but if you're looking to be in the business for 30 years, it's hard for me to imagine that you're going to be running a $10 a month club for that length of time. I think you'll have turnover. I think you'll see the concept change. Somebody comes down the road now, they're eight bucks a month. I mean, you're always sensitive to price. So if I had a box and I was trying to do it, I would say I don't care how big that box is, 
whether it's 5,000 square feet or 100,000 square feet, I think you have to, to have exemplary service and you've got to really know your customer and you've got to deliver on what you, you, you sell them. And uh, that's the number one pet peeve that I have, even at the NAC, which I think we do a great job. I, I'm never satisfied with the fact that I tell my salespeople, you, as you tour them around, you promise them this, 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 and this. We better be delivering on it. So all the things that we're like now focused on is delivering on the best service possible. Now, with 12,000 people, that's easier said than done. But we're getting better and better at it all the time. And you know what the other thing is? It's a hell of a lot more rewarding when you start thinking in that terms uh, than it is uh, the other way, which is let's just sign the next person up. Right. So, so in, in roughly 33 years that you've been in this fitness industry, mm-hmm. um, uh, what, and we talked about some of the very smart things you've done. Tell us about the worst decision you made. Worst. Well, I'll tell you that what was probably, um, probably the thing that, I, that impeded us for a little while and I finally woke up to it maybe 15 years ago, was to stop micromanaging. Now I've, I've gone to the other end of the spectrum. I've gone to the dark side where I just manage by numbers. But I, I give autonomy to the, 100% autonomy to the, to the managers of each what we call business unit in the NAC. There's like 17 of them. Gotcha. Some of, them, some of them you can judge on P&Ls because, you know, like, for instance, the spa or the personal training director or the food service. You, and some of them are more, um, more subjective, like Group X, things like that. Though we are trying to measure more by numbers there. Uh, when I stopped, like, knowing everything and getting, looking over everybody's shoulder, we grew a lot better. So I think hmm. we were a little bit – the entrepreneurial spirit that got us from 1981 to the mid-90s worked because you could do it that way. But then, in the mid, but then it started to inhibit us. And after a few years, I started letting off the reins and realized that, that we didn't lose a lot of time with that. But uh, I would think that was the mistake. And I could have continued that mistake, which is let these people breathe, let them run their own thing, compensate them based on their performance and cut them in as on a percentage of what they do. So if your business unit brings to the bottom line X, you get X. And by the way, I, 20 years ago at another seminar, I still to this day, I don't understand why people don't subscribe to this, but we have open book management. I give my, all my managers, they get every P and L monthly. They get it for the entire club business units and they get daily revenue every they have every number and if they want to sit down and figure out in fact i think there is a line item for me even me if they want to figure out what i pull out of here or what you know what we get out or i get out my comment i have no problem with because guess what i'm the guy on the, the hook for the for, for the loan i get paid for that but the, the reality that's one reason i get compensated for what i do and i and i'm again the big picture guy but they 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 get everything from the the electric bill, what it is every month, to what the front desk people are paying. The more information they have, the better they can make I mean, business that, judgments. 
that's really forward thinking. I mean, and you obviously, you know, you that's that's a trend that it, it, I wouldn't even call it a trend yet. I think there are still people who uh, that that's something that may or uh, may not evolve down the road. But well, it's what, hard to tell people that it's hard to tell them, hey, we're not doing well, or hey, we're doing great, or hey, we need to do better when they don't have the numbers in front of them. They get they get the same they get the same stuff that I get every day. So, you know, there is no subjectivity to it. It's all objective, and then we can all pull together. And then we have team goal, which, you know, everybody should – like, for instance, if you're, the, if you're the chief financial officer, who mine has been here like 26 or 7 years, I mean, she doesn't – yes, and in some respects, she affects the outcome of the bottom line. But for the most part, she's just counting what comes in, and she helps a little bit with the cost controls. But, you know, she's not out there selling personal training. Uh, you know, she, she gets she gets compensated based on a team goal. So she gets bonuses. Everybody gets quarterly bonuses based on how their division does, and or if you're if you're a marketing person. Actually, we're actually we're we're actually doing something kind of interesting. We got five or six people in our marketing department. We actually assign them profit centers now, and as those centers grow, they get compensated for the the net profit growth. So I think it's pretty. We we do some pretty. You know, think about it. We do do some pretty cool things here in regards to that, like bringing everybody into the fold and having them. They're all partners of mine. I explain to them. You know, they in some respects the the employee partner has a better deal than say I do. I'm on the hook for twenty million dollars. I mean, the facility is a as a as a uh, if you, if you rebuilt this would probably be forty forty five million bucks. But I'm going to look for $20 million. What I get, and, and it's the likelihood of me selling the NAC anytime down the road is, is minimal. The chances are there's no one other than maybe Lifetime Fitness that could come in and has the ability to do something like that. So, By the way, if, if anybody from Lifetime Fitness, Fitness is listening to this podcast, <laughs> uh, you can reach Jim on, directly on his cell phone. Trust me, you know what? Five, I'm selling now. Actually, you know what? You should, would, call his, they, he should call his broker, Hossein Noshirvani. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, yeah, that's right. I am the broker. Uh, Jim, just so you know, my fees are very, very reasonable. Very fair. Let, let me tell you, let me tell you, Lifetime Fitness would be one group. I mean, first of all, I'm not interested. I, what else would I do with my time if I wasn't here? But uh, the, the reality well, I know is. Of a, they, I know of a certain 80 year old you can go beat up on. I'm just saying. <laughs> Give me something to do. Yeah, but you can only do that once. What do you do the rest of the week? Well, no, every the, time uh, it gets back up, you say, I did not tell you to stand up. <laughs> Well, I tell you, Lifetime Fitness—they they run a great operation, so I, I I'd have no problem if they were ever interested. But um, the reality is, is that the, the the point I was making was that you know the, what you get out of a business when you own one of these is the cash flow, it's the profits. So if you're sharing in the profits, whether it's two percent, five percent, ten percent, twenty percent, whatever it is, is you're basically my partner because you're only get I'm that's the only thing I'm getting too. Right. So it, it really, when you get it down to that level, your employees start to go, yeah, I guess that does make sense. No, and, you know? and like there, there's no question that in, uh, there are very few businesses that actually do that. I mean, obviously all public companies have to do it, and, but I'm not sure how many of their employees are going through their, their S1s and K1s or, or, or any of that nonsense. But, well, what I would say is what are they afraid of? What, what's the owner of the club afraid of? They, you, look, when you've got – you're, uh, you've got yourself out on the line 
that that's what you deserve. You deserve something for risking everything you have. And it, you know, and it, when you explain that to employees, you say, well, okay, there's a premium for that. Now let's talk about all this money and figure out a way how you can benefit because you're my partner. We're not going to get anywhere if I don't have, motivate you, and I don't get any, you know, and you don't get anything if I don't incite you. So let's sure. let, let's so what, work together. What's what's a trend in the fitness industry that you didn't see coming? I mean, there's going to be clubs that are probably going to listen to this and say, "Hey, I'm going to do an open book policy." What's a trend that you didn't see that came? Well, I I, I think we've been a, when I say a little late to the wellness game. I think we when I say late, so has 95 percent of the rest of the industry. But so so I don't really look at that. I, you know where I think that we've uh, underperformed. We've underperformed. Uh, and didn't take, and I'll tell you why. On the personal training side, now we've gotten much better in the last couple of years, and we're a little bit late to the game on the small group personal training. And I have an odd uh, spin on that. Um, I, it's not that I don't like those things. I do think they can be very profitable. But I think when, and some clubs have been very good at this, like Telos, for instance, down in yep. Texas. They're excellent at this, and. You know, their penetration rate of the people that train versus their entire membership is tremendous. I mean, we're always hovering about 2 3%, which is insignificant when you talk about 12,000 people. So I feel like when my staff is down there working specifically with those people, what we're telling the other 97% to come in, you know, each day. And we have some days in the summer, 4,000 people go through the doors because of the pools and then in the winter, probably 3,000 plus, you're basically telling them, well, we're not interested in you because you're not paying. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not stupid. I, I, we need to, to make that, um, you know, that number grow to where we get 5%, 10%, 15%. But it was never an emphasis on, by me or our club because I wanted to put the effort into the, uh, the general membership. And frankly, I was not we weren't we were successful i mean look our attrition rate is something like 19% and when you take the out the uh the uncontrollable the people that move out of the area the deduct another 10 we probably lose 9% of our members every year 9 10% it's not our attrition rate's phenomenal compared to the industry but i still don't think that we de deliver the level of service that we should in fact i just did something that uh, I, you know, and it's working out great. About a month ago, we basically hired a girl who was more of a PR person, not a fitness director. We we eliminated the fitness director position, and what we've done is we've hired a girl that's more of a PR customer service person, and she basically works the uh, fitness floor, the 12,000 square foot new fitness center in the 5,000, so 17,000 square feet she works. Uh, she, um, she, uh, she, she, she does nothing but um, network with members, ask them about program reviews, first workouts, a number of different things. She just is delivering this higher level of service. The, re the reviews we've gotten in the first month since we've done that has been Phenomenal. I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, I've been here three years and nobody ever talked to me. Because that's what happens. People slip in and out the door. They get on the same treadmill. Nobody interacts with them. And you and I know that um, 
the most important part of getting people to stay a member of a club is, is to ingrain them into the, the community of the club. That's why, you know, group, uh, that's why uh, group exercise is, is so, you know, it, it's a community of people taking that class that all get to know each other. So not only has it been good in retaining existing members, the byproduct of that as well has been that, more people are now personal training, small group training, getting program reviews because they have the ability to have someone go up to them and start saying, hey, what are you interested in? And all of a sudden somebody says, gee, you know, I never knew how to go about, uh, you know, trying that TRX class. Can you, can you, how do you do it? I mean, they just didn't even know. And as an industry, we take that for granted. We just think people, because they're outgoing like us, know how to get what they want. And most of them don't. I mean, just yeah. walking in the door, whether it's um, a storefront health club or the NAC, which is a big building, is intimidating. So why aren't we embracing these people and holding their hand? And, you know, this, you, 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 let, let me tell you what I'm weak at. The, the, if I was good, we'd have five NACs. But I don't have that skill level. And yeah, you, really you're, you're, you're a simple janitor, Jim. Realistically. Hey, I had 30 cleaning accounts. Why can't I have more, one than more neck? And you know the reason why is because I just feel like you spread yourself too, too thin. And uh, we do have another club. It's the Horsham Athletic Club, which is down in my hometown, which is like 40, my old hometown, which is 45,000 square feet. Very nice club. But we never did any more necks because – I always felt like we just – how are you going to deliver that service? And frankly, this is going to sound odd, but about 15 years ago when I knew the NAC was getting bigger and I knew that – I, I don't have that skill set of more locations. Like look, I, look at like a Brahm at Lifetime, 110. He started, somewhere along the line, he started with one. I mean, that to me, that's an amazing yeah. story. There's a guy I'd like to pick his brain and find out how to help. What is, how does your mind work to but, do that? I, that's difficult for me. By the way, he is, he is going to be uh, – if you, if you can get us to connect with him, we've been wanting to do, him, uh, do an interview uh, with, with him to do uh, Jim Class Heroes as well. Well, I, I don't know him personally, but I know the guy that's right underneath him is like his acquisitions guy and the site guy, and he was a great guy, and I, his name's slipping my mind right now. But Again, I can go um, through him I'm, and try I'm to hook just for the record, I am the official broker of uh, – uh, and, and if, you, if you're looking to purchase uh, a decent club, it's a little bit old. It's a little bit old, but it's got a great pool. Uh, remember, you've got to contact me. No problem. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll refer that. But, so uh, I, got, I, I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a question. We've asked all the gym class heroes this question, Jim. So uh, we're gonna, there's a couple of questions we've always asked, uh, always curious to know the answer. Sure. Um, one workout. You can only do one workout every single day for the rest of your life. Just one workout. What would it be? Oh, I'm old school. I mean, like, look, I still bang around the. Uh, yeah, I, I would do a combination of, uh, you know, one body part or two chest, triceps, and I would be banging out stuff on the hammer strength and the dumbbells, and then I'd also now I've gotten really into the, uh, and then I would be doing stuff with uh, on the uh, on the uh, turf with. Uh, in our small group training area where I'd be pushing sleds or pulling sleds and stuff like that. And a little bit of strongman stuff and a little bit of the old school stuff mixed in with some functional training. 
I mean, I bang out two hours of uh, heavy lifting. I mean, that's what I like to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I, you know, the, I used to teach boot camp here up until two years ago, and then I was told I had to stop because I was getting 40 people and was competing with small group personal training, which they charge for. And I, <laughs> I was giving my stuff away free, so they said, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta knock that off because you're doing it two times a week, and that's in, you know keeping our trainers." So I stopped that, but. You know, I would I would do what I've been doing since I was 14. I'd I'd hit the weight room and I, you know, I'm not just talking about bench press and stuff like old school, but I'm just I'd be lifting heavy and you know Listen, doing the stuff I, I did way, when I trained for sports. I I will tell you that I've been waiting for someone to give me that answer, and, and I'm glad it, it came from somebody finally because everybody everybody kept saying every just so you know, and we're not judgment. This is a no judgment zone, as it were. Uh, everybody talks about uh, functional training. You're the first guy who said the word iron and picking up and strongman and old school. So I do. Well, like that. And, and you know what? That's funny. And don't get me wrong. I've been around this forever, and I don't I don't judge anybody's workout, but. You know, I see people like uh, doing these odd exercises and then flipping the tires and all that stuff. I guess it's kind of neat, and I'm sure it works. And and I, you know, and but you know, unless I can't remember the last time I drove down the street and somebody saw somebody flipping a tire through their front yard. I mean, I mean, because that was what's functional and that's the norm. I mean, I think you can get a lot of it by training. You know, the way not 30 years ago, but a moderate you know, moderation of what you did then with the new stuff and uh, with the with the design of the equipment now with hammer strength and stuff like that. You get a lot of that anyway. But uh, so yeah. I like to, you know, pull the sleds and do the ropes and, you know, pull the weighted, uh, the rope with the weights at the end and, you know, hand over hand and all that stuff. But And, and I've done a lot of the speed and the Julie's Parisi stuff too, and I like that because, again, I do think you want to be – I mean, I run as well now as I did 20 years ago, not that, that – I'm 57 now, so well, I'm a that- that, 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 I, got, I got an important question for you, sure. and I know, Lena, and, and I'm not trying to make you take a, a, a position here, but I, but I think I think it's important. Um, are you are you? And again, if you don't feel comfortable answering, I completely understand. Um, do you prefer Pats or Genos when it comes to your cheesesteaks? You know what? I don't like either. Uh, I, if I had to go, and I don't eat that stuff often, but I did, I'd, I'd go to Tony Luke's. Tony Luke's is better than either of those two. Everybody knows Pat. You know, everybody, every, everybody that comes into Philly, taking down the Passyunk Avenue, when they go to the, you know, the tourist thing. I guess if I had to, I, you know, I, if I had to pick the one, I'd pick Gino's because he's the guy that came out and said he was mad because if you were going to order a cheesesteak here, order it in English. And he, got, he, got, he, got, he basically put it up there. That was a big controversy. Wow. So I had to eat Geno's. But if, if, I, if you said go anywhere in the city, I'd go to Tony Luke's. Their roast beef sandwich and, and cheesesteaks. There you go. By the way, uh, I, we don't take responsibility if anybody comes after you for that answer. <laughs> well, you told me to be honest. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, we weren't expecting that level of honesty. Come on. This is this is a podcast. So, All right. Another question we always ask people um, is, in third grade. Okay. So right. for you, that's a, it's going back a little ways here. We we acknowledge that. But when you and. One of the interesting things about all the gym class heroes, and I think Lee can attest to this as well, is all of them have been great athletes, or they played sports. They were involved in their community to a certain extent growing up. 
Um, one question I had for you was, that we've asked everyone, I should say, is when you were in third grade and they were picking teams for, for dodgeball, right, the big red balls that they would smack up against your face. Right. How, how early or late in the game were you getting picked? Were you one of the early guys because everybody wanted you on your team, or were you like uh, Lee here who uh, would uh, become the water boy? Well, first of all, they'd pick me number one. One, because I probably deserved to be, but number two, if they didn't, I'd probably punch them out. Even <laughs> I mean, I, I was, I'm the most competitive. In fact, I don't even play pickup basketball anymore on Friday mornings with all my buddies. I stopped like four years ago because I was losing members once every six months. I mean, I'm a <laughs> psycho when it comes to competing, and I just don't. I, I try not to put myself in a competitive sports environment. So you can imagine what I was like in third grade. And, in fact, if, by the way, if we played that game, my team lose, lost, I would blame it on everybody on my team except for myself. I was just a sight. I was, just, I, was, it, I was the worst teammate you could ever have because I wanted to win so bad. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily cheat, but I would push. The, I would push the envelope to do whatever I have to do to win. I mean, that's no, no, I, we we understand. Lee Lee cheated at Monopoly, so <laughs> totally makes sense. I respect that. I, yeah, I used my sisters that. used to play play <laughs> that with me, and they got pissed off because every time I lose, right right before I was going to lose the game, I'd flip the board up in the air and toss it off the table and leave. So oh, I, you, I wouldn't. That way, I said I didn't lose. I'd punch. I'd punch you if I didn't get the thimble. All right, I was that serious about it. Well, I'll tell you what I would do. I would wait. I would wait till you were 80 years old. Then I would come up behind you and beat you up. That's what I would do because quite well, maybe 85. I'm I'm I'm, I'm worried about that actually. Well, let me just tell you this. You got a chance if I don't have my dentures in, but if I do, I'm going to bite you, and then maybe you're going to be in it because if that's what it takes to win, that's what I'm going to do. All right, ten questions. Right. Ten so, questions. Uh, we we oh, go ahead, Lee. No, no, I was gonna say lead lead us oh, in the team questions. Okay, Jim. Yes. You. This is this. Is, I need you to really sort of get your mindset. This is going to be competitive. I'm gonna right. I'm gonna set the ground rules here, and then I'm gonna let you answer. Okay. First, I w- we're gonna play a little word association game. I give you a word, you tell me the first word that pops into your mind. All right. I will tell you two things that have yet to happen. Uh, everyone at least, most everyone is at le- at one point or another either repeated an answer. Mm-hmm. Or they've used the word um to sort of stall. So okay. I am hoping your competitive nature, your competitive juices are flowing right now. You're yep. going to give me a clean word association. It's only about 10 or 11 words. Okay. I will try to enunciate. If you hear a buzzer sound, well, we don't have a buzzer sound. But if you did, you would have, uh, you, I, would, I would say it's a repeat answer. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Should you need to stretch away. or anything? You need to pick up some weights yep, before we I'm get good. into this? I'm focused. I'm, I'm, I'm staring at the phone. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> so word association, I'm going to give you a word. You're going to give me an answer. Okay. First word is treadmill. Fast. Member. Experience. Employee. Compensation. Retention. Great service. Diet. Eat clean. Exercise. Three days a week. Biggest loser. Weight loss program. Spotting. A lot of weight. Healthcare. Wellness. Technology. Techno gym. Nintendo Wii Fit. Games. Locker room. Plush. 
Gym class. High school. You, sir, are a gym class hero. You've answered them all. You did not repeat, and you didn't say the word um. So for all future gym class heroes, you are now the uh, the record holder for the having done, done that right. The and standard by the way, bear. never to be broken, right? Never. <laughs> nobody can ever be first other than you. <laughs> I hold the record never to be broken, only tied. Beautiful. Right? There beautiful. you go. Jim Worthington. <laughs> Uh, we got to thank you so much for this. This was an excellent conversation. And I just want to uh, say a little bit uh, real quick. I was talking with Linda Mitchell before uh, earlier. We were talking about you and, and, and your organization, and which is it's very funny. Like everything she said about you is exactly what you said about yourself. So it, it's uh, you're, who you are is very well known to the people who are, who are close to you and around you. But um, one thing I want people to know is that uh, you guys were part of the area that was very affected by Hurricane Sandy. And uh, and when that happened, uh, I know that you uh, almost you had a lot of your members were out of uh, water, out of electricity, and they were basically living at your club. And you opened it up to the rest of the community uh, to give people a plants a chance to recharge and and clean up. And uh, I just wanted I thought it was something important that people know that about you, that you truly not only are making uh, Newtown Athletic Club a family experience, but you do make it a community experience and and you take responsibility for those uh, in your area, and I think that's something people should know about you. No, I appreciate that, and in fact, uh, you know, not to belabor the interview, I'm sure you had enough of me at this point, but we have a <laughs> whole program called a financial assistance plan, which was modified and made better than some of the not-for-profit people that you know, run their little thing out there, and there's literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have come to the NAC uh, annually for free that have memberships that are probably approaching a thousand people now I think about it that we we let the come in that can't afford it and even though we're in a somewhat upper middle class area that's got some real affluent areas there's still a lot of need and I and Linda Mitchell heads that up and by the way she, she's worked for me for 32 years yeah she won the Julie Main award and She's really a, a testament to the NAC. People like her are the NAC. I mean, yeah. Joe Record, my assistant Nancy Krieger. I mean, I, I, I can go on and on and on. I mean, the NAC is really as big as it is. It's the staff that makes it uh, what it is, and they they're committed. They're hardworking. And by the way, they got to put up with a guy like me. I'm a little eccentric, so I mean, if they can do that, you know, they're good people. So. I can only. I appreciate imagine. you guys talking to me. I hope it wasn't too long-winded and too. Not long. at all. Not at all. We appreciate this, and uh, thanks everybody for listening. We. Uh, uh, by the way, hear just one last thing. We didn't even get to talk about Sister Sledge, so maybe that's going to be part two of this interview. <laughs> part two, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, she's a member here. We are family. You know, we've had a number of people here. We just had uh, the Spinners here last month. We've had the Temptations, Cool and the Gang. They're like, we've had like 15 major uh, old old school groups here in the last uh, 15 years. We have a big party every year, and we bring in these old school acts, and uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of neat. Uh, and, and and you know, members love it, and we love it, and it's part of what we do to make people happy. So it's all good. But yeah, she she's a Kathy Sledge. <coughs> she's a member here. She was uh, she was a spin instructor for a little while here. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. well, that, There's so there, many get, questions. I can't even contain myself you're at this gonna, point. Hear more, stories, ahead, hear, hear more stories like that at the Athletic Business uh, Conference, iClubs Conference, November 20th through 22nd in San Diego. This has been Gym Class Heroes of Fitness. Thank you, Jim Worthington. Thank you, Jose Noshirvani. I am Lee Kessler, and we will be back soon with a, uh, hopefully, just as entertaining an interview. Uh, talk to you soon. This has been Gym Class Heroes of Fitness.